Welcome to Guidepost in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and operations moving forward. Today's podcast will focus on cybersecurity frameworks and metrics for effective governance and risk management. My name is Ken Mendelson, and I'm a Senior Managing Director at Guidepost Solutions. One of my core responsibilities at Guidepost is to assist clients with implementing and maintaining their cybersecurity and privacy programs. Joining me today to talk more about this timely topic is Andy Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Truvantis, a cybersecurity consulting firm that provides best-in-class cybersecurity services to secure an organization's infrastructure, data, operations, and products. I'm very happy to say that Truvantis and Guidepost frequently collaborate on projects, and together we help our clients improve their cybersecurity posture by implementing, testing, auditing, and operating information security programs. Andy, welcome to our podcast. It seems we can't go a day without hearing about another cyber or ransomware attack. It's great to have you here today to talk with me and talk more about this subject. Um, oh, Andy, why don't you fill in our listening audience on your background? Thanks for having me here, Ken. Uh, so I've been working in cybersecurity for ooh, a couple of decades now. Um, that stretches from being down in the weeds as a developer writing security code in firmware, actually, for embedded devices. Um, through being a chief technology officer at a strong authentication company, which was ultimately sold off to VMware, to now where I'm the founder at Trivantis, as you say, where we provide information security and privacy services to organizations of all sizes throughout the US. And throughout it all, I've been focused on solving security problems from a business perspective, assessing the risks and translating them into the business domain to support informed decision making, which I think is really what it's all about. It's best to level set at the beginning of a discussion, especially where the topic is as complex and nuanced as cybersecurity. So for the benefit of our listeners, would you explain what a framework is and what it's for in the cybersecurity context? Sure. So we do talk about frameworks a lot in cybersecurity and privacy. In fact, sometimes it's easy to get a bit swept up in focusing on the framework and losing sight of the bigger picture. So you do have to remember that they are just a tool, but they do achieve a couple of things. One is they provide you with a list of controls that you should have in place to manage your risks. Some frameworks are very specific about the controls. Others talk in more general terms and leave you to decide what your specific controls are going to be. But in most cases, they're going to give you a list of the, the here are all the things you should do, a checklist, if you like. Another facet of some frameworks is specific guidance on how to approach that list of controls. So how do you prioritize them, size them to fit? Perhaps choose which ones apply to you and which ones don't. They walk you through the process. But I think one of the most valuable benefits is that you can measure yourself against the framework. Perhaps you're just starting out with building a cybersecurity program. Perhaps you're trying to oversee a well-established and mature one. But on any given day, how do you know how well you are doing? Frameworks can help you structure that question, and they give you a way to get a repeatable answer that you can compare with your peers and track over time. There's, there's literally an alphabet soup of general frameworks to choose from. So, for example, the NIST cybersecurity framework, or CSF, 
ISO, COBIT, ISACA, and CIS, which is from the Center for Internet Security, as well as industry-specific or subject matter-specific frameworks such as HIPAA, PCI, FedRAMP, to name a few. So how, how does an organization know which one to use? And can they be combined where you pick and choose elements of some that fit your needs or more specifically your risks? Yeah, so it, picking your framework or frameworks, I recommend a three-step process. So firstly, identify the frameworks that are imposed upon you. So if you're a public company, you need to deal with Sarbanes-Oxley. If you handle credit card data, then you're going to need to do PCI DSS. If you handle government data, then there's probably a slew of acronyms that you need to address. These are the items where you have very little choice. Secondly, go through and identify the frameworks that you think may give you a business advantage. So SOC 2 is a great tool for removing conversations about security from the sales process. And that's used for, by companies that are selling tech-based, often online services. ISO 27001 is very popular with international and multinational corporations for demonstrating the maturity and rigor of their information security program management. But there can be a large cost associated with achieving full compliance with a complex framework. So you need to approach these frameworks with a kind of a cost-benefit analysis uh, mindset. Thirdly, you can pick a framework purely from the perspective of managing your own organization's risk. And I often talk about this idea of risk a lot, but really that's what information security is there to do, just manage risk. And from this perspective, the CIS controls that you mentioned, that's a great one. Um, but really, you can adapt any framework to that purpose. Having selected what framework you want to use, then yes, you can absolutely combine them together. But you would then want to build out a unified controls matrix that, that lists out all the things you're going to do from all of the frameworks you've chosen, all of the controls you want to have in place, and maps them back to each of the frameworks that you care about. If you were to try and apply multiple distinct security programs from different frameworks at the same time to the same resources, that, that would just be inefficient and problematic. So you really need to build out from the frameworks you choose, build out your own a one security program to rule them all, if you like, um, something that achieves all of your objectives in one go. And your, your question about picking and choosing from the frameworks is really interesting. If you're going to claim that you'll comply with a program, comply with a framework, then you need to comply with it 100%. Once you've decided which ones you're going to get certified for, there are generally no optional pieces once you've decided the, the, thing, the target that you're going to go for. But the ones that you're doing just for your own risk management purposes, those you can definitely mold to your own needs. That's great. That's a great explanation. And so you, you mentioned that one of the advantages of using a framework is that it allows you to measure a, yourself, your, your own progress or your organization's own progress. How, how can frameworks be used to measure progress in that way? A couple of different ways. So one is by looking at how much of the framework and how many of the controls that you have in place. Another 
is by looking at how much of your organization's scope is currently complying with the framework that you want to do. And these can just roll up mathematically. You know, we're 60% compliant with the framework or we're 100% compliant in 30% of the environment. And so you can roll those up mathematically. A couple of the frameworks give you actually maturity growth markers that you can work through. So something like the CIS controls, it actually groups out all of the controls into implementation groups. And it says, first go for implementation group one. And there's, I think it's something like 50 or so controls in that group, and that's what you do first. And then you move on, if, if it's appropriate for your size and nature of your organization to implementation group two. Um, and so you can track through um, milestone by milestone as defined in the standard. PCI does the same thing. It's got hundreds of controls in there, but they group them according to milestones. So if you're building, you start with milestone number one and work your way through to milestone number six. So there's a number of ways of tracking progress, but it's generally beneficial to reduce it down to some numerical measure because then you can just you know plot a graph and track it over time. Right, right. Now, it's, it sounds like it would be a very useful tool for uh, corporate boards to track and maintain, uh, you know, their, the organization's progress as it moves towards their goals. So, are there any disadvantages to using frameworks? Um, the only disadvantages I can think of are not so much problems with the framework, but rather ways to get it all wrong. So, if you pick the wrong framework, or if you pick an appropriate framework, but then you just follow the words in the document blindly without really contextualizing it and adapting it for your environment, then you may be putting an unnecessary burden on your organization for very little benefit. Got it, okay. So when, when allocating resources, how much time should executives allocate for an assessment against a framework? And, and what resources are required? Is this a major undertaking? Yeah, that, that's a generally um, hard question to answer. It, it's really quite unique to each situation. So one factor would be how deep do you want the assessment to go? Um, on the light end of the spectrum, you, you could just put a knowledgeable person in a room with a consultant for a day and just do a tabletop discussion around what you have in place. That's quick, it's easy, but you have a substantial risk that some of the things that are said may not be true, or they may be true, but not the whole answer. It just doesn't give you a high level of assurance. It's, it's more of a sniff test. Um, at the other end, if you bring in a third-party independent assessor who's going to form their own opinion through inspection and evidence collection, that will be a much larger project. When we do an assessment of an environment that handles credit card data, for example, and we're producing a formal report under license from the credit card industry, then that can take several months depending on the size of the environment. But Bear in mind, there's over a thousand data points that we need to collect and evaluate. And many of those we have to do for each server or for each person or for each facility. So it's really a size to fit exercise. If you need the certification, you may have no choice as to how big the project's going to be. But if you're doing this for internal purposes, for risk management, you can choose how big the project is based on how much diligence and therefore risk reduction uh, you want to have in the assessment. 
the resources that you will need to bring to the assessment are quite varied. So clearly your subject matter experts in security, privacy, IT, architecture, R&D, and so on. But there's also going to be questions for HR regarding background checks, perhaps finance facilities, and so on. It depends really on the controls being assessed and who in your organization can speak to those controls and communicate their effectiveness and produce evidence of them working or not. Well, Andy, thank you so much for sharing your insights with our listening audience today. I'm looking forward to our next podcast where we'll talk more about audits and assessments and about the role of security in an organization's structure and why that's important. Thanks for having me. And of course, I'm looking forward to our next discussion. Okay. And uh, thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. For more information on enhancing your company's cybersecurity posture, please visit our website at guideposttsolutions.com.